In American society, money is a taboo topic. We're taught at a young age it's improper to talk about it, but we're also bombarded with messages about the power and importance of money in our everyday lives. And by not talking about it, we miss out on the skills and lessons we need to effectively understand and financially plan. That changes today. Welcome to Money Tales. Hosted by Sandy Brager and Cami Doder, Money Tales brings more than 35 years of combined professional experience in personal finance to demystify money and demonstrate what it's like to speak openly about personal financial matters. Join us each episode as they interview modern-day movers and shakers about how money decisions intertwine with their daily lives in order to give you better insight into productive financial conversations. Subscribe today and register for our blog, Fathom, at aspirient.com slash podcasts to increase your money mojo. And now, here's Cammie and Sandy. Lauren Keen-Aumann joins us this week on Money Tales. Lauren landed a finance job with a small company when she graduated college. A year into the role, she decided she wanted to learn more and earn more. Lauren thought she had to leave the company, but instead an opportunity opened up for a sales position. Sure enough, she applied. When the head of the company learned this news, he said with surprise, Spreadsheet Lauren is going to do sales? Yes, she did. And as a matter of fact, Lauren blew her quota out of the water that year. Today, Lauren is a content creator and real estate investor based in Tampa Bay, Florida. She and her husband achieved financial independence in her early 30s. Lauren is also the podcast host of Adulting is Easy, teaching young adults about personal finance. Here are three key money topics Lauren hits on in this conversation. First, what can happen when you ask yourself, what can I do to grow my net worth? Second, what it was like to transition from a guaranteed salary to commissions. And third, when money's not the biggest thing on your mind, you're freed up to be better in other areas of your life. We hope you share this episode with a friend and please subscribe to Money Tales on your favorite podcast platform. Now on to our conversation with Lauren Keen Almond. Welcome to the Money Tales podcast. I'm Cami Doder. And I'm Sandy Brager. Cammie, I was at an event last night at my friend's house. They hosted a fundraiser for nonprofit that we're all involved with. Found there are about 50 people there, and there's a little program in the living room. And our friend at the end of the program made a solicitation for contributions to the charity. Now, he did such a great job. And I wanted to chat about that because I know a lot of people have a hard time asking for money, whether it's for themselves or an organization that they care a lot about. That's so great, Sandy. It's always implied. You go to something like that, one of the motivations, and it's super comfortable. But you're right. A lot of times people don't really ask. And so he was comfortable doing that? Yeah, he was. The organization had passed around the living room, just kind of where people would be seated, all the necessary paperwork and envelopes for writing checks if people wanted to do it right there on the spot. It was kind of sitting there waiting for us the whole entire evening during this presentation anyway. And he just got up at the end and thanked everybody for coming and made a very heartfelt pitch based on the importance of this organization to him and his family and the role it plays in their life and asking folks to contribute as much as they would feel comfortable because it was an organization that he really wanted to continue to do well and be financially viable. And it was short, it was sweet, it was direct, and it came from the heart. It was a model. I wish I, I wish I was recording it. I'm curious 
if our podcast guest today will have some thoughts on being direct. Welcome, Lauren Keen Amon to the Money Tales podcast. Thanks for having me, Cami. And as you guys were talking about that, I couldn't help but think of my sales background. I've been in sales for nine years and some salespeople, believe it or not, are uncomfortable asking for money, asking for the sale, doing the close. And something that one of my mentors told me a long time ago was they know that you pay your bills if they buy from you. (laughs) It's not a shocking. It's not like a shocking thing for them. And I would say it's the same for a nonprofit and raising money as well. People know, don't be like, oh my gosh, they take donations and that's how they, no, it's not a surprise for anybody. So it's okay to be direct. Be direct. That's great. Lauren, would you also introduce yourself and in doing so, share a couple pivotal moments, maybe it's going into sales, <laughs> but it's a couple pivotal moments taking place in your life that really impacted who you are today. Sure. Going deep right off the bat. <laughs> As you said, I'm Lauren Keen Amund. I am a 33-year-old married podcast host, content creator, and real estate investor located in Tampa Bay, Florida. These pivotal moments, I'm going to take a couple different directions with it. One was when my sister was born. So I was 13. My brother was 11 when my sister was born. And that was a very pivotal moment for our whole family. Not to air my parents' dirty laundry, but she wasn't planned. Surprise! <laughs> and so that sort of changed that changed a lot of things. I, I was always a big sister. And then suddenly I was like a really big sister. And that's a very different role than I ever had played for my brother. And so that really changed things for me. And going down the line, another pivotal moment was later on in life where I started the Adulting is Easy podcast and mostly for the Twitter social media account. And I've met so many amazing people through that. I've made a little bit of money through it even and made some great friends, done some great networking. And that started from me teaching my sister about personal finance because I was there when she took her first bites, her first steps. I heard her first words. I taught her to tie her shoes, how to ride a bike without training wheels. And so naturally, I was going to teach her about money as well. So those were a couple of kind of related pivotal moments, but certainly from a money perspective, getting into sales was really big because I was able to increase the income, which made it easier to make some of the investments that I've made since then. Lauren, you taught your sister about money. Who taught you about money? Yeah, it's a good question. A little bit self-taught, I think like a lot of us are. But growing up, my parents were very actually open about money. I would say things like, hey, dad, how much do you make? And he'd be like, $75,000 a year. <laughs> Just I didn't know not to ask. And they always, they always kind of told me. And they would tell me things like, we pay cash for cars. And I kind of understood what that meant. And then after my sister was born, we needed a new car because... <laughs> car we had wasn't big enough. Didn't have enough space. (laughs) Yeah. We just, we had like a truck. And so with two almost teenagers and a baby, it wouldn't have worked. So we got this Yukon XL. And I remember my mom, I'm like 14 at this time. I remember my mom saying, we're not paying cash for this one because it's 0%. So we have the cash, but we're going to put that in the stock market and make the $500 a month payment. Those are just a couple of examples where they were very open Mostly though, it meant I had to ask certain questions about it and the reasons for doing things. I was always very aware that 
they had more money than we were spending. And there were some very specific decisions that were being made around that, but that it was all kind of for the greater good and the future of our family and things like that. What great conversations and modeling your parents were doing. What impact did that have on you as you grew up and ultimately left your home? Yeah, they've been really good examples. I know a lot of people aren't so lucky where they learn in their homes from negative examples, but I have had to blaze my own trail a little bit, even though they were were and are great, great financial examples. You know, my dad taught me about stocks, Roth IRA, 401k when the time came. And my mom taught me that we should have a primary house and at least one rental property. And my dad never liked rental properties. My mom owned her primary house and a rental when they got together. And his parents gave her a cake and he said, this is great. Let's never buy another one (laughs) because he really wanted everything to be passive. So I ended up having to go against them a little bit with taking on more risk, I think, than they would have been comfortable with and buying these different real estate deals and taking on leverage, whereas they basically had their primary home, their one rental They had 15-year mortgages, so they were paid off early, no debt on like the boat or the cars or anything and and the stock portfolio. They've done very, very well. But as I've gone out in the world, there has been a little bit of a a divergence. And I think my dad thinks I'm a little crazy, honestly. So you continue to talk to your parents about money and specifically about the decisions you're making about your own personal finances? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. They know everything. They know what the properties are worth. We talk about what we have in our retirement accounts, what our plans are. And conversely, it's actually becoming in a lot of ways more important now that I know what they have going on now that they're in their 60s. And I love my brother and I love my sister, but it's going to be me that spearheads that whole situation. There's no doubt. So I need to be more kind of more aware of that than them of where their money is, what their plans are and things like that. So it's always been a really comfortable two-way conversation. And actually, now I have a couple of cousins who come to me for financial coaching. My brother and his wife, we have a financial plan set up for them. So very open, probably not a normal thing, but very open to family in terms of money conversations. Uh, You're modeling it for a lot of us. That's really great. Before we get into your work in the real estate world, tell us a little more about going into sales. And importantly, were you having money conversations with your boss, with how you got compensated? Yeah. So I graduated with a degree in business finance in 2012. And I start there because that was during what we called at the time, the great recession, right? But I guess now we're calling it the great financial crisis. And even though I had done really well, I basically ended up as a manager, a front end department supervisor, actually at Toys R Us was my first job out of school. And I was lucky I was able to buy my first home and I had a roommate who paid for most of the mortgage. So that made a really, despite a kind of tough situation, I was able to still make some good financial decisions at that time. I knew what I didn't want. I knew that I didn't want to do retail. I knew that I wanted to have more of a normal schedule that aligned with my family and my friends, evenings, weekends off, kind of normal PTO, things like that. And so I started looking for a desk job and I got this desk job as someone who did just like accounting. I did accounts payable for a training company. And I also sat at the front desk and answered the phones. And after about a year of that, I kind of was like, I know this. <laughs> you know. And this is a small company. There wasn't like a big department of for finance and accounting. So I was like, well, I basically have to leave. There's nowhere for me to go here. And I 
I knew from looking on Glassdoor and looking at job recs and things like that, that I was paid about right. It was, I was paid $33,000. I had, I had a degree in finance and one year of experience. I was like, I'm paid pretty much right. I mean, I'm sure I could get some kind of merit increase or something, but if I want to learn more and make more, I'm going to have to make a change. And so I had been kind of batting that idea around. I I certainly knew that my house had gone up in value. So I had like just a little bit of net worth. I had money saved to buy my second car because my parents had bought my first. So I was in a position where I knew I had to make some sort of change if I wanted to really change my future. I was doing okay, but what could I do if I tried to grow my net worth? Because I had done so well by accident. And at that same moment... As I was having these thoughts, it was like a month-long period, probably the same company opened an inside sales team. And so I applied for it. And the sales manager came running out like, yes, Lauren, yes. And like the head of the company was like, spreadsheet, Lauren, she's going to do sales. (laughs) And it was selling financial training. So it wasn't like completely unrelated. So that's how I got into inside sales, blew the quota out of that water that first year got promoted, got promoted again. And I stayed at that company for a total of seven years and left three years ago. And I'm still selling training to this day. So it was kind of an interesting path to get here. But I knew that my dad had been in sales, is in sales. My grandpa had been in sales. And I was like, okay, if my the salary for that first sales job was 40000 And like I said, I was making 33 in accounting. So it's like, wait, worst case scenario, I make more. I don't sell a thing. I make more. I mean, sure, I'll get let go or whatever. But Maybe I'll take this accounting job back if it's open. So, and that's how I think, I guess. Like the worst that could happen wasn't really that bad. You were needing a change. You wanted to develop. You felt like you kind of hit the ceiling on the position you were in. So you switched to sales. You have this nice legacy of a family coming from a family of sales. Tell us, what was that like to move to more variable compensation? I, I understand what you were saying before about the floor of your comp going up. But did your motivations change? How did you become such a successful salesperson? Well, I was the person that was in the group projects in school that kind of did all of the work. And then everybody else got to share in that. In sales, that's not how it works. Like It's just you. You're being measured. And there's very obvious metrics of sales, right? And in some cases, margins and revenue recognition and things like that. But the measures were there for success. So it's nerve wracking because yeah, okay, I I was going to be making a higher salary than I was, but that's not guaranteed. The salary for the accounting role is pretty much guaranteed. I could do the job. I would just keep doing, I could just keep doing it in and out. I was proficient at it. It wasn't really ever going to change very much and I'd be good at it. Getting into sales on the other hand, like, yeah, you're going to get that 40,000 instead of the 33,000. But if you aren't good at it, you're not going to have the 40,000 because you're going to lose your job because that's how sales is. And so that was definitely nerve wracking. So I really got into sales and I read all these different sales books, attended all these webinars, signed up for all these sales newsletters, got mentors and coaches. And so I took it very, very seriously for years. And so it kind of wasn't an accident. I mean, maybe there's some genetics there. I'm not sure, but I worked really hard at it because I was like, I I don't really want to get fired. And I ended up liking it and I really liked the product and selling financial training really kind of worked with my business finance degree. So that ended up being a really good decision for a lot of a lot of different reasons. Curious, Lauren, with that in mind, what did you learn about money conversations from developing these sales skills? Yeah. So something that happens in sales 
And if there's any salespeople out there, they're smiling because they probably know where I'm going with this. You don't get like raises. They're like, well, you can sell more (laughs) and then you'll make more. So every year, every year that I've been in sales, my comp plan has changed. And I've been in sales now for nine years. And so you're literally having compensation conversations with your boss every single year. And if you're on the same comp plan as other people, maybe you don't know what their base is, but you're talking to them about it. What's the best strategy? Should we try to get the revenue recognition? Should we be trying to get commission? Should we try to make it so we get recurring sales? Should I be trying to keep accounts? Should I be trying to give accounts to inside sales so I can get new business? You're always having these types of conversations. So naturally in sales, you're having negotiation conversations with your clients. But also every single year, you're talking to your boss about what's my new comp plan and then trying to tell them why your quota is too high. Hey, Lauren, you mentioned that your cousins come to you for financial coaching, which I think is really fantastic. Would you describe what is that to you and to them? So once I started adulting is easy in the podcast, naturally my family knows that I that I do that. And so that's how this came around. Like, hey, you know about money. And it it starts with, little things like what's a 401k? Here's my investment options for my 401k. What would you pick if you were me? And then so rather than just telling them, okay, if I were you, I would pick this. I kind of explain why. Why are we doing index funds? Why the S&P 500, for example? And hey, you asked me about the 401k, but let's talk about a Roth IRA as well. And while we're at it, to even know if you can do that, we need to look at your income. We need to look at your expenses. And the couple of cousins that I have in mind, they are really good about if I say, okay, what I want you to do, do some homework before the next time we talk. I want you to tell me what the vesting schedule is, what the match is. I want you to call Fidelity or Vanguard or whatever and sign up for the Roth IRA. And they always do these things. And then we meet up and then we kind of take another step. So I try not to be too overwhelming to them, but it's very basic things. And I'm really passionate about it because they're in their 20s. And so like you, they're already th- like they're already saving more than 10% of their income. They're already getting their company matches for their 401k. They're already doing at least $3,000 into their Roth IRAs. And they, I mean, I could basically tell them, look them straight in the face and be like, you're basically not going to be in poverty in your 60s with the information that you know right now. And that's such a pivotal time to catch people when they're in their 20s because by the time they're in their 60s, the compounding with all of the money that they put in there, even in their 20s. But if they keep doing it, the sky is the limit and you're almost guaranteed to be pretty wealthy. And so that's kind of how we do it. Little little baby steps, but with the idea of you know keeping the overall goal in mind, keeping your why in mind and what you want out of life, short-term, mid-term, long-term goals. I don't do financial coaching really outside of my friends and family, but I did get this graduate certificate in financial planning during COVID just for fun. And so that's how I kind of flex some of those muscles. Lauren, why is adulting easy? (laughs) Adulting is easy when money is easy. So the idea of adulting is easy is let's make adulting easier by making money easier. If you don't have to worry about whether you're going to be able to make your rent and where your next meal is coming from, everything is going to become a bit easier. And that's really what adulting is easy is about. And then once you kind of get those basic needs met, you can start thinking about investing and changing, really changing your future and then the future of your whole family tree. But it really starts early on. And that's the whole idea. It's a little bit of an aspirational idea, but like, let's make adulting easy. There's more to it than that. Of course, there's being a good person and there's taking care of others. But if you if money is not the biggest thing on your mind, it, it really frees you up to be better in all areas of your life. 
I really appreciated what you talked about with at least your cousins. And I think in your the work you're doing there is this idea that you said these ideas are basic, but I think of that as foundational. Without that, you can't move on. And then you talked about compounding. So there's compounding of knowledge. And then with that will come financial confidence. I think that's just really powerful. And I'm curious, when you're working with people and helping people, do you see that compounding transpire? And what's what are the feelings that you are part of? You can tell that when I'm having these conversations, you can almost like see their shoulders like come down, like in relief, like, ah. Like it's going to be okay. Like these are basic ideas, but I would say they're not intuitive. There's nothing intuitive about what's a 401k versus a Roth IRA or what's a 403b, which is something people have never heard about. Far from intuitive. All those names are just so off-putting. Yeah, exactly. It's like, what is it named after? Oh, the tax code? Great. Wonderful. (laughs) Some former Congress person. Oh yeah, exactly. They're looking for somebody to say, you are doing the right thing, looking for that validation. And then they can have that confidence because there's something too with spending money, I think, where people are like, they don't even know whether they should feel guilty about spending or they're buying this thing or taking this trip. And you can look somebody in the eye and show them, hey, we've done this math. We've made this plan. You are good. As long as you keep doing this, look. My brother, he's in a union, so he'll have a pension. So I was like, if we just save this much, your pension's going to cover this. You only need to cover that. He's like, oh, well, that's doable. It's not this big, scary, I need multi-million, I need a multi-million dollar portfolio. How am I gonna am I gonna do it? And you're able to give them confidence and give them in some ways permission to live their life now as well. Lauren, you're so confident when you share your stories and your knowledge, which is wonderful to see. And it makes me wonder if you've ever had any challenging money decisions to make for yourself. Anything that really kind of caught you off guard or or really challenged you about which direction to head in? I definitely had those moments. I I went off the path a little bit when I was 27. I bought my second house. I bought a BMW. It was like the golf course community, you know, forever home. And you think you're going to be happy. And I wasn't. And it took me a, probably a year or two to figure out why that was. And it was this idea that this is cool, but I have to go to work tomorrow to have this. I didn't necessarily feel like somebody was going to take it away from me because it's like I have an emergency fund. I have good credit. I'm very employable. Nobody's going to really be able to take this house or this car from me. But it's that I did have to keep being employed and making money in, in order to pay for this. And then also there was just this hollow feeling of, I have this beautiful house. I have this beautiful car. I have this great job. Why am I not happy? Sounding like a talking <laughs> head song. Oh, am I? <laughs> I did. The one good thing I did when I bought that second house was keep the first one and rent it out. And so from there, you're almost on this path of, do I just live the traditional life? Then this is how my parents lived, right? My mom stayed home. My dad worked. They saved 20 to 25% of what he made and they spent the rest. But he was, we knew, like we knew dad was going to be working until he's 65. He could have been done sooner. He's 63 though, and he's still working, but I think he just likes it at this point. But so it was basically a little bit of a fork in the road of, am I going to do the traditional retirement or I'm going to try to do this early retirement thing? And that's when I realized that I had to go back to my roots in this time. My husband and I got married and I was like, we basically, we got to buy a house that has rental potential. I saw how that worked with my first house, how I, I bought it. 
and I had a roommate and it made everything so much easier from a financial stress perspective. I was like, we need to do that. Like, I don't know what to tell you. The best thing to do is move to somewhere that kind of pays for itself with the rent. And I was like, if we can cut this 20, cause we were paying $25,000 a year for taxes, insurance, flood insurance on this house, which means you have to make like 30 to do that. And I was like, if we can cut that, we can change our lives. And so that that was a moment where my buying my first house was a big deal because it taught me what real estate can really do, at least from an appreciation perspective. Keeping that house was the right thing to do. But then there was another moment where my husband and I, we started down the path to early retirement and we started out at sort of a walk and then we started jogging. And now it's a few years later, it's really become a sprint. That's interesting. You kind of got off course there for a moment and checked yourself and and realized your values were in a different direction. Yeah, that's exactly it. And we've faltered since. So even as recently as December, 2022, we're under contract on a $950,000, 3,000 square foot house on the water. And we realized that this meant that for sure, my husband would have to work quite a while. And it wasn't that big of a deal because now he's part owner of an engineering firm. So he'll at least be involved in that to some extent for the foreseeable future. But it felt right because it's beautiful, but it felt wrong too. And we had a conversation over a glass of wine. We're like, we're doing that thing again. Like we're getting off track and literally canceled that contract and bought another duplex and moved into it instead. You know, Does it feel great to like, this place isn't painted yet. We took a wall down and we don't have the, we don't have a different wall back up and there's a hole where there should be a door and all these kinds of things. And as uncomfortable as some of that is, it deep down feels better because it is aligned with our values. And I think it's easy to forget to run your decisions through your value framework by accident sometimes. We almost did it again very recently. We uh, we stayed stayed true to ourselves. I think it's really easy. And moving the goalposts, whatever the, yeah. the analogy is, I think it's really easy. So tell us a little more. It sounds like you and your husband have money conversations. How do you bring these hard topics up? Is it, is it natural for you all? It's natural. It's maybe too natural. <laughs> when I first brought up the, hey, like, I think we are paying. Well, let me back up from that even very early on. I mean, we're talking like within the first month of us dating. I was like, so do you have an emergency fund? And he's like, I mean, I have like $700 in my account. And I was like, that's not very much. But he lived with his dad. And, but I was like, you're one fight from your dad and your job loss away to using your credit card to pay for stuff. Like, that's just not right. And what he was doing was every extra, any extra money he had from his paycheck, he would throw at his car loan, for example. I was like, and that that's good, but that's like a 3% interest rate. You need to have this emergency fund. And so he like funded his emergency fund that living with his he dad. He listened. He took your advice. Yeah. Oh, he listened like right that away. That was a good sign. Yeah. From very early on, we had money conversations. I'm three years older than him. And I had all these open conversations with my parents growing up. And then I had the business finance degree and then had been in the working world for a few years. It started with me teaching him. And then that sort of continued until I had that very pivotal conversation with him. It was early 2020 where I said, every $30,000 of everything that we make is going just to stay in this house. And that, by the way, is never going away ever for 30 years. Like, that's crazy. I said, we need to move. We need to do something, which is called house hacking, which is, like I said, live in a property, rent part of it out. 
And I said, we need to do that. It's like a buy one, get one free for a rental property. We need to figure out how to do that because we get rid of that bill. We'll cut our retirement date from 55 to 35. No joke. And he was like, no, we just moved in here. I was like, well, it's been three years. Like, And he at first said no, but it was like 15 minutes later, he was like in. And we were looking at houses within like a couple of weeks with uh, with extra, what are called accessory dwelling units, ADUs. So he he came around really quickly then. Since then, and a lot of this has to do with getting married, you just become a joint, like a much more of a joint entity than you ever were before. And so instead of me kind of teaching him and me convincing him, it became us convincing each other and keeping each other on the path to early retirement through real estate. And I kind of brought him along for that first property. And then he convinced me to do the cash out refi and buy another one. And then I found the property that we wanted and he didn't really want it, but he went along and then he found the six unit apartment building. And then I went along with that. And so since then, it's been kind of this like joint thing. And we're always checking in with each other, always checking in like, what, where are the goalposts? How far away are we? What down is it, if you will? And so we check in honestly, almost daily. We're at a very pivotal point again in our lives where we've reached financial independence. Our real estate pays all of our bills. And so now it's like, okay, where do we go from here? And we do need to do a little bit of stabilizing with the portfolio, do some CapEx. We just bought this property. So we need to build back up our emergency fund and general savings. But all that'll be done in a year. And then it's really a question of where do we go? Where do we go from there? So we're doing a lot of checking in with each other. How are you feeling about your job? How are you feeling about your career? How are you feeling about the rentals? Do you like the balance of short-term rentals to long-term rentals? Do you like the portfolio as it sits? Should we diversify out of Florida? Things like that. We're having, we're doing a lot more checking in lately than we've been doing. And Lauren, tell us briefly about your sister. How's she coming along as you're, as you've been helping her out? Oh, my pride and joy, that girl. She's 20. So she just finished her second year at the University of Florida, which is where I went. My family's financial situation has changed over the years, naturally, my parents had me when my mom was like 31 and then she was 44 when she had my sister. The financial situation had changed quite a bit. So we moved around a lot while my dad was moving up. His career has been very stable. She's lived in the same house her whole life, except for when she's away at the dorm, obviously. And she got like a brand new car instead of a used one. It's a Camry, nothing crazy, but she could have easily been this like entitled thing. And she's just not like she's chill. She's down to earth. I don't, I don't really know how that happened. I assign her one personal finance book per year that she reads. And so this year she's going to do The Wealthy Barber. She's done Why Does the Stock Market Go Up, The Millionaire Next Door, and The Richest Man in Babylon. So she's still on board with some of the adulting is easy topics and she knows money is important. Lauren, tell us, what's your next money conversation going to be and who's it going to be with? Oh, my next money conversation is going to be with my husband. There's no question. There's no doubt. I mean, it's just we bought a property in February and it needs work. And so you can tell me if this is a money conversation or not, but we're talking about remodeling the yard right now. Oh, that's a great money conversation. Uh, yeah. So it's the <laughs> difference between like ten dollars and $20,000, right? That's going to be the next conversation that we have trying to get that knocked out this week. And then, you know, next week we have $17,000 structure repair that is being done in the midst of a renovation. We're having those money conversations every day. And then it'll be when do we want to get the roof done at this one property to make sure the insurance comes down and some of those things. I, I think we're talking about money probably a little bit too frequently right now. 
but we're going to stabilize here pretty quickly. Oh, Lauren, that sounds like a great conversation. And you're right. It is important because those jobs can grow in size unintentionally. So it's good to have those conversations. Tell our listeners, where's the best place for them to find you? Yeah. So definitely please, you guys obviously like listening to podcasts, please find and follow, subscribe. To Adulting is Easy, wherever you listen to podcasts. And I'm most active on Twitter at Adulting is Easy or a little bit less active on Instagram, but that's Adulting is Easy Real. Thank you so much, Lauren, for sharing your stories and joining us on the Money Tales podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the Money Tales podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, share it with someone you think would benefit from listening. And leave us a review on your favorite podcasting platform. Your ratings and reviews help more people find our podcast. If you're inspired to gain clarity and peace of mind about financial matters, don't hesitate to reach out to our team at Asperient. Go to asperient.com forward slash start a dialogue. Or you can email Sandy and me at podcasts at See you next time.